as a police officer. He had investigated the deaths of children and other traumas that shaped him. He's now a college professor, author, and more. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Coming us from Minnesota, we have Drew Moldenhauer on the phone. Drew is a former full-time police officer, a part-time police officer. He's been policing for 15 years, and here's where it gets really interesting. He is an assistant professor of criminal justice at Bemidji State University in Bemidji, Minnesota. He's also author of the book, How Smart Police Officers Use Sitional Awareness to Improve Safety, which I think everyone can use. And his website is Blue Ethos Specialized Training dot com drew first before we get into the whole college thing thanks for your service very much appreciated thank you appreciate that you've been policing for a long time you're, you're not a rookie you're not brand new and i'm not criticizing rookies i'm just saying look i didn't know what i didn't know and i really thought i had a good idea what to expect from policing but it was far more violent far more traumatic than i ever realized is that a fair assumption for you absolutely absolutely and it, it's just never ending. That was the big thing. Before we go into your story, there are certain incidents. I tell people all the time, I didn't, I never cried on crime scenes or calls for service. However, I did cry in patrol cars many times. The exception to that would be police funerals. That would be the only exception. And as a police officer, as a human being, I found it always very difficult to investigate violent crimes, crimes of violence, sexual crimes against children or the elderly. Is that safe to say for you as well? 100%, John. Yeah, absolutely. It, it just doesn't make sense. And I, I, I remember, before we get into your story, I remember being a young police officer, and I was really distraught about something. I don't remember what it was. And an old-timer, he was a Vietnam veteran, combat veteran, he said to me, don't try to make sense out of things that don't make sense. You'll just drive yourself insane. You'll lose your mind. And that's something I've tried to carry with me, not just through policing and my career, but in life afterwards. A lot of things are like, my wife will say, what is wrong with people? Watch the news. What is wrong with people? How could they do that? I'm like, I don't know. I really, I don't know. I 100% agree with you on that. Uh, that's exactly how it is with policing, and it's just it's a tough thing, and they try to teach you some stuff in the academy, and then when you get out there in the real world, it's completely different than what they told you. <laughs> there are certain things. They train us on all the things to do, but there are certain calls for service you can't train for. Uh, and i got to say this. This is a story I wrote. You, you see it on the blog at letradio.com about the burning man. It was uh, We got a call from a man who set himself on fire. And I was a young, young policeman, fresh out of the academy. And I was a backup officer. I went going through my head the whole time. What do you do? I don't know what to do. They didn't teach me this. I have no idea what to do. And we got there. It was the worst case scenario. He had set himself on fire. And there's witnesses, his family members. And I was like 22, Drew, and I had no idea what to do. That's exactly it. I mean, how can you train for that? I mean, there's things that are just going to pop up that are just unexplainable. And when you get there, you're sitting there and you're kind of frozen. You're like, well, they never went over this in the academy with me. So what do I do from here? And oh, my gosh, yeah, the amount of experiences I had like that in my career, I can't even count how many that was. And the worst part sometimes was I don't know what to say to people afterwards. 
Absolutely. And that's always trying to find the words. Maybe your life uh, experiences haven't you brought you there. You know, it's, I'm this young cop. I'm 22 years old and I'm supposed to tell people in their 40s about their marriage problems and how to, you know, yeah. separate them and give them advice. Oh, man, that was tough. Yeah. And then you get the calls that no one wants to go to. You, you had multiple incidents in your career policing of young children dying by whatever means, whatever manner. How difficult was that for you? Oh, man, that was probably the most difficult part of my entire policing career. And just to give you a little bit of background, I mean, in the first two years of my job, I had a six-month-old. That was my first death that I ever went to. Uh, then I, on, still on field training, I went to a two-year-old that was ran over by a car, and then I had a SIDS death from a woman that I knew from high school. So those were three deaths that I had in the first two years of my career that really affected me and impacted me and that were really tough to take. Oh my gosh, they were so hard. And yet you continued on. A lot of people would say, that's it, I'm done, I can't handle this. Absolutely. I mean, it, who? It, no matter what kind of training you go through, they can't prepare you for that when you hit the job. And how, how am I supposed to deal with this afterwards? And I remember that one with the six-month-old. That was my first death I ever went to. And it was just so, I just was so shocked by it. And that was the age of my niece that was just born. And I was just looking at that child and I was like, oh my gosh, just picturing my niece in that you know position. And that was really tough on me. And yet you still had a job to do. See, I, I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. We were training certain things, protect the tri- crime scene, make render first aid if possible, not necessarily in that order. Uh, sometimes it's clearly established that the victim had died for whatever reason. Make the notifications, do the things they do, prepare the reports. Uh, I, I knew what to do. I just didn't know how to handle it or where to get started. And as a young policeman, You've got a six-month-old that had died. Did you even know where to start? No, I didn't. And it was, you know, it was my first death that I've ever gone to. So there, obviously there was an investigation because it was a six-month-old. And what had happened was um, parents were both homeless. They were staying with somebody. They went out for a uh, movie that night, and they left a person in charge that was about 14 years old. Baby started crying, so they flipped him upside down, put him in a kitty litter box, and shoved him into a closet, put a blanket over him so he'd stop crying. Uh, we get called there right away in the morning, and the baby was blue when we got there. So there was a full death investigation. They had to separate the parents. So all this was so new to me, and this was right away in the morning at the beginning of my shift on field training. And I was like, what am I getting myself into? I wasn't prepared for that. That was just one of the craziest calls I've ever been to in my life. So a 14-year-old flipped the baby upside down and stuffed it into kitty litter. Correct, and put it in the kitty litter box and put a uh, blanket over the top of it, putting it into a closet so it would stop crying. And that's what you call a homicide. Correct. And there's no way of sugarcoating that. Uh, and I, I can't imagine, to begin with, the parents, the guilt, the responsibility, all that stuff, feeling, hey, I finally got a weekend, uh, we can go out, we can do something as a couple, never thinking this would occur. Correct. And that was that was the thing is, you know, just even hearing the, you know, investigators come in and talk to this 
14-year-old that was in charge of me, you know, he just was, I wanted to play video games and I wanted to, um, you know, the baby just kept crying. I didn't know how to take care of him. So this is what I did. And he kind of demonstrated the whole thing of how we put it into the closet. And it was so hard to see. And I was just thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is what my career is going to be like. And of course, you know, you're looking at this baby and it doesn't even look real. I mean, it's blue and it's got the rigor mortis starting to set in and that kind of deal. It was, it was very traumatic, really hard to take. And I just remember having that thought and looking at the baby's face and I couldn't sleep that night because of looking at that and that face just kept showing up when I was trying to sleep and it was very tough to take. Sometimes things show up in my memory when they're least expected and least wanted. We are talking with Drew Moldenhauer. He is a he was a full-time police officer. He's now a part-time police officer, which we'll talk about in a little bit. He's also assistant professor of criminal justice at Bemidji State University in Bemidji, Minnesota. He's an author. His book is called How Smart Police Officers use situational awareness to improve safety we've got so much more to talk about including his website more death investigations and the trauma don't go anywhere we'll be right back one of the most frequent questions we see is where can i find great podcasts do you have any suggestions yes we do so we decided to start our own podcast network on law enforcement today that's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. Welcome to the Harmony with Food radio show. I am your host, Meg Marie O'Rourke. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I am a nutritionist for longer than I'd like to admit on the radio. Join my guests and I as we discuss how to live in harmony with food from gut health issues, food sensitivities, food intolerances, and the comorbidities of obesity. Being your own healthcare advocate is achievable, and so is living in harmony with food. For the latest nutrition information blogs, check out my website, harmonywithfood.com. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Returning our conversation with Drew Moldenhauer. He is a part-time police officer. He's got 15 years total experience on the job. He's also an assistant professor of criminal justice at Bemidji State University in Bemidji, Minnesota. And he is the author of the book, How Smart Police Officers Use Situational Awareness to Improve Safety, which I believe everyone needs and can benefit from. And his website is blueethosspecializedtraining.com. Before we end the break, Drew, uh, again, thanks for telling these stories. It's, it's not easy to talk about. You're talking about the, the murder of a six-month-old by a 14-year-old caretaker. There's no winners in that. The, the, the family members of the 14-year-old, they lose. The 14-year-old loses. I'm not I'm not saying that to be feel sorry for that 14-year-old, but the family members, the parents of that six-month-old, Never saw that coming. And you as a young police officer, was anything, did anything prepare you for that? Not at all. I mean, just the impact and the trauma that I felt after that, there was nothing, 
you know, when you go through the academy, they talk about you're going to see some things out there that normal people won't see, and you're going to experience some things that are pretty tough. But there was nothing like saying, by the way, you're going to go on your first death scene is going to be a six-month-old that's, you know, flipped upside down in a kitty litter box and shoved into a closet. Like, there was nothing that prepared me for that moment. I, you know, I was thinking in my head, maybe I would go to the first, it would be maybe an elderly person that passed away or something along those lines. Nothing like this. And boy, did that have an impact on me. Like I said, I just had trouble sleeping after that. Um, it was one of those things I just couldn't leave my mind and seeing that face was very, very difficult. Does it still pop up every now and then now? Absolutely. And kind of like what you were mentioning about earlier, how you said that things will just kind of pop into your head. With me, too, there's certain sounds or smells or sights that will just trigger that moment that will come into there. And then I see that face again. And that's that's tough to deal with. I'll tell you. I mean, it's just one of those things that you can't prevent. And, you know, it's it's one of those things on the job that it's tough because what do you do? I mean, there's just certain things that bring you right back to that moment. How old were you when you were tasked with, with handling this call? 22 years old. That's when I first started as a police officer, and that's when I was on field training. And it ages you quickly, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, most people will never see ever in their lifetime, and you're 22 years old, and you're exposed to that. And it's one of those, hey, I just got done with my degree. I just went through the police academy. Here's one of my first calls. Holy cow. You know, it's what, what do I do from here? This is this is pretty tough, you know, and it was one of those ones where I looked at him like I questioned myself. Is this seriously something I want to do for the next 33 years of my career that I got to deal with certain things like this and separate the parents in an investigative scene? And yeah, that was really hard. And uh, were you like me after that? You had to go do your job. You had to show up the next day and go back to work. A hundred percent. And, you know, there was no aftermath follow up with, you know, a peer support group or anything like that. It was just, all right, well, that call is done with and it's 10 a.m. So let's let's get back to it. You know, your shift goes till 2.30 p.m. So, you know, that, that took up half my shift and it was right back to it. And I had to work the next day as well. And it's like, wow, you know, it's something you don't expect that you're just going to go right back to the street. And now you got to deal with you know, you you never know what you got to deal with next, you know? So, yeah, that was a tough part. That was one of the things I loved about it and hated, too, Drew, is that uh, you, you don't know what to expect. Every day is a little bit different. Every call is a little different. But there's an old saying, and I, I'm going to paraphrase it. So that cop that yelled at you or that seemed insensitive or seemed rude maybe just came from a dead baby call. And the next call is a family dispute or a parking complaint or uh, a neighbor dispute. Uh, was that what it was like for you? Did you have a hard time going to your next call and saying, okay, be professional? 100%. And, you know, it was one of those things, too. I remember after that call, we went to coffee, and it was just me and my partners that were at that scene, and, you know, we wanted to have a coffee break kind of fuse, and I remember a guy walking in right into the coffee shop and just said, well, it looks like not a whole lot's happening in Ramsey today because he saw three of us sitting around enjoying a cup of coffee, and it's like, Oh, man, you have no idea, you know, and that's one of those things that, you know, triggers you because it's like, well, you don't know what I just had to deal with today. And to say those words, I know he didn't know, but yes, exactly what you're talking about. Um, or someone's complaining about something and, you know, your mood is a little bit off and you're like, you have no idea what I just had to go and deal with. And then further in your career, you had a call for another child death. I believe the second one was a, a, a vehicle accident. That's correct. Yes. And it was one of those super sad calls. And I mean, you know, that, that feeling, it was one of those ones that when it got dispatched, it came out that 
uh, kid just got ran over by a car. And sometimes you think, you know, okay, is this really what happened? But then when they said we're receiving multiple, multiple calls on this, that's when we knew I looked right at my field trainer and she's like, yeah, this is, this is a bad one. Let's go. And we were super close when we got there and it was a, party that was going on and the kid was across the street there was parked cars on both sides of the road car was traveling southbound going very slow and the kid popped out behind one of the parked cars total freak accident um woman ran over the kid two-year-old and we got there and that was another really really traumatic scene that was still on field training and i witnessed that so it was two kid deaths while i was on field training and this was a two-year-old that just got ran over by a car and i remember just seeing that mother had blood on her face trying to give her child CPR. He had blood all over his face. And I thought, holy cow, that was one of those moments I can remember I froze because I was not ready for that. There's nothing that can prepare you for that. There really is not. No, there isn't. I mean, how, how, how do you train for something like that? And so I remember we got air care going, that kind of deal. The whole, you know, party, the whole entire neighborhood was there, you know, looking at us and, you know, wanting us to save the baby. And, you know, some of the more senior cops that were there were looking and they're just, you know, they said kind of right away that, you know, he's done, you know, so we tried everything that we could to do what we could to bring this, you know, child back, but it was, it was over with. And boy, was that a traumatic scene. I mean, just seeing the whole family around there and having to call air care in and doing that kind of deal and everyone just having this very somber, sobering effect that the looks on their faces and boy, I just, I remember sitting there looking and just freezing, just, Oh my gosh, what do I do here? I've never seen something like this before in my life. And hopefully never will have to again. One of the things, and I'm visualizing my head when you're telling the story, uh, and unfortunately, but what uh, resounds to me is the noise, the, the, the people screaming, the people yelling, the people milling around. Was that an issue for you as well? It was almost like it was just kind of, we pulled up, there was this huge group, and I remember the mom coming up saying, you have to save my baby, you have to save my baby. She had blood all over her mouth, and there was a huge group of people, and there was a lot of noise and all that kind of stuff, but it was very um, kind of trickled that was in the background. You know, the, the main focus was on the child, and I remember just everything, all the noises around, the sirens, you could hear them coming from everywhere, that kind of way. But I just remember that mom saying that to me and then the the kid laying right there just on the ground. And then I remember one of the worst parts was when me and my partner went to go grab the back of his head to get him up. That's when it really set in that this is this is not good. One of the things I bring up is because it's audio distortion. I, I can't remember the exact phrase was an issue for me. And you become so focused on the task at hand and the trauma at hand. You start. It's almost as if the TV's on in another room and you can hear it, but you really don't make out what they're saying or the exact nature of the sounds. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. We're turning our conversation with Drew Moldenhauer in just a few moments. I promise you, more startling information coming up. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to listen to a favorite Law Enforcement Today episode again? Or chat directly with John J. Wiley? Now you can. Download Podopolo for free on either app store and send John J. Wiley a DM right on the app. That's P-O-D-O-P-O-L-O, Podopolo. 
We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, letradioshow.com. See you there. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Return our conversation with Drew Moldenhauer. He was a full-time police officer for years. He's a part-time police officer now. He's also assistant professor of criminal justice at Bemidji State University in Bemidji, Minnesota. Minnesota. He's an author. His book, How Smart Police Officers Use Social Awareness to Improve Safety. I say it all the time. Everyone should be aware of that. Everyone can benefit from that. And his website is Blue Ethos Specialized Training. Dot com. Drew, before we get into the whole transition becoming a professor, which I'll be honest with you, I don't comprehend, we want to go back to the the unfortunate situation you had to investigate the young child, the two-year-old that was hit by a car. Freak accident. No one's at fault. The driver's not at fault, obviously. But nothing about this ends well. Everything's horrible. Yes, the whole thing was, and I remember even just exactly what you're talking about. It was a horrible situation. It was one of those things, too, when uh, we got that child up, like I was talking about, and had to get him going to get the air care to send him. Um, I remember it was, we called the fire department out there, and it was this very eerie, somber effect because there was still a huge blood stain right on the road, right where it had happened. And I remember uh, one of our senior officers said, get that fire department out here and let's pressure wash this off as quick as possible because people kept walking by it and just crying like crazy. It was tough. And I, I, I feel badly for everybody involved. But I also feel badly for the cops that were there and the EMS, the firefighters, all the first responders. That's a tremendous blow to deal with. Absolutely. And that was, you know, it's, again, how do you prepare for that? And the trauma that you, I mean, that's another one, one of those ones that when we're driving down those roads, sometimes when I see, when I see cars parked on both sides, I instantly, my heart rate starts elevating because I know, oh my gosh, last time I was on a road like this, where there's people outside and all that, a kid came out from one of those cars and was ran over and I responded to that call. So that has that effect on me every day when I go down those streets and see cars parked on both sides and people out having a good time. It's just one of those things that you carry with you forever, no matter what. Were you in a relationship, a serious relationship during either one of those no, in the beginning, I was not. I, I didn't have kids at the time, and I wasn't in a serious relationship in the beginning of my career. Because I'm sitting there thinking, and I, I've, I've, back in the day, Drew, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably the same with you, we didn't talk about these things. My wife would say at the time, you know, how was work? Like, yeah, it was a bad day. It was okay. It was a good day. Whatever. We didn't go in specifics. So how do you have that conversation? I know now that I should have been talking about these things, but how do you tell your spouse, oh, by the way, this is what happened, and I'm feeling a little jacked up about it? You know, that was the hard part is it's it's one of those things where it's it's so hard to try and describe to see what happens and to, you know, explain that to your significant other is, hey, this is what I had to deal with. And, you know, um, you know, you try to say it, but you don't want to give all the details away because of how gruesome it is. And, you know, it's it's a tough thing to do. I mean, who do you talk to about this besides other cops that were there with you? 
Um, that's the tough part for me is I would tell my parents about it or I would tell other people that were close to me about it and they would just say how awful it was and they couldn't even imagine. And it's like, yeah, you know, you were the one on the boots on the ground right there staring at it. It did help though to vent that out and to get that out, but it was hard to describe to other people. This takes me back to being a young man going to barbecues and, and some guy I never met would ask, you know, really pointed questions about traumatic things. And, you know, I was at the beginning, I was nice about it, Drew. Towards the end, I was like, I, I let him know exactly that they crossed a, a line and I wasn't going to talk about these things. Now, the first one was a murder. And, and that doesn't make it easier to deal with. But it's a cause and effect thing. Okay, if this kid hadn't done this, that baby still be alive today. I know who to be angry at. I know who to blame. I know to do all those things. The second one was an accident where no one's to blame. I, I, I don't know where you find a way to compartmentalize that and say, okay, if you had done this, this wouldn't have happened. That's not the case. It wasn't. And, you know, this woman on the second one, like you were talking about, she was driving underneath the speed limit. Um, She was doing everything right. It was that kind of deal. People were waving at her. She was waving back. And this child just came right from, you know, the other side of the road. And that's what's so tough about it. And it again, it was, where do you turn? What do you do? There was no nothing written about, hey, this is how you deal with this kind of trauma and this specific deal. So, you know, back when I first started, it was kind of just bottle it up and get back to work the next day. And then it didn't come until later in my career where we started having some peer support groups and saying, hey, we need to start talking about this kind of stuff. But back then, it was just, all right, bottle it up and keep on going, you know, and we'll yeah. just keep on trucking. That was hard. We used to say, suck it up, buttercup. You're the police. You have a job yeah. to do. That's the, the way it was. You can lick your wounds later on. Now, the first two I, I was involved in, very similar. And yes, they, they still bother me. The, the last one, uh, the sudden infant death syndrome, SIDS. Uh, a lot of people use different acronyms for that. It's where you get a call for uh, an unexpected, unattended death of an infant. And I remember a, a guy in my squad, he lost a child to SIDS. That was the closest I came to it. My frustration, and I know that you're going to talk about one you investigated, is that there's no explanation. There's no cause. There's no effect. There's no nothing. It's just horrifying for everybody. Are you able to talk about that? Yeah, and I remember this is another one of those calls, again, that I'll, I'll always talk about is one of the hardest calls you ever have to go to, I mean, when it's an infant, and, you know, because they're just so innocent. That's the hardest part is they've done nothing wrong. So you ask why. And I remember it was a night shift. Um, it was me and my partner and my sergeant all working. Again, one of those calls that, and I know you know this, when they come out on the radio, you know it's the real deal. Yeah. And it was about, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, and it came out that mom just woke up went to check on her baby, which was a twin, and the one twin um, wasn't breathing. So it came out that child not breathing. And very young, in a deal, I remember we were going to that call, probably driving faster than we should have because it was just one of those ones that when it's a child involved, boy, you really go and you give it everything you got. I mean, it's just hard to describe to people that haven't been there before. And we all got there. We ran up the stairs and we could see the mom and dad and they were crying like crazy. And they, again, baby was on the ground. And I remember my sergeant walked right over and he looked right at the child um, and just said, your baby has passed away. And it was one of those ones that I just total shock. 
he had young kids at the time. My other partner had young kids at the time. And I just thought to myself, my gosh, how much more of this do I got to deal with? I mean, it was just one of those calls that is so devastating. Again, you're looking at this child who's completely innocent and you're thinking, why does this have to happen? What, you know, that, that is one of the hardest things you ever have to do. And then just wait there. There's that long kind of wait while you're waiting for the investigators to get there and they're going to have to ask them questions and separate them. And just you're sitting there with the family and you're just hearing them cry the whole time. And boy, is that tough to deal with. And we still have to treat it like a crime scene. That's the thing. Uh, you, you can't backtrack and retrace and recreate things. So I don't know about your department. We always treated it, even if it was an obvious, you know, unexpected medical emergency, whatever it might be, a suicide. We always treat it as a homicide until proven otherwise. Was that the case for you? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's that kind of standard procedure where you got to call out, you know, the coroner, you got to call out your criminal investigation division to do the interviews, separate the parents, make sure that, you know, that there was no foul play. And boy, it's just a tough thing because it's you're thinking this is one of the most, you know, it is probably the hardest thing they've ever had to go through in their entire life. And now for an investigation to take part and you have to separate them so they can't be together during that really tough situation. And then you as a police officer have to sit in a room with one of them while the other one's being interviewed. And it's like, how do you find anything to talk about? You know, it's a, it's a very, very tough, tough deal. And I recognize this woman and she went to high school with me and she was a year or two older than me. And I was like, it was just one of those things that was very, very difficult to deal with. Man, so much tough stuff. Uh, we're, we're talking with Drew Moldenhauer. He is a police officer, part-time police officer. Uh, 15 years experience. He's also an assistant professor of criminal justice at Bemidji State University. He's an author and so much more. We're going to talk more about the impact of this trauma on him and how he began to change his life to being a college professor, author, and more. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise all subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign up area. That's letradioshow.com. I'm John J. Wiley. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're joined by special guest Drew Moldenhauer. He is a police officer part time. I know. Not a whole lot of places have part-time officers. Some are called reserve. He was full-time before that. He is a college professor, assistant professor of criminal justice at Bemidji State University in Bemidji, Minnesota. The reason I know where that is is because I watch his show Fargo. He is also author of the book, How Smart Police Officers Use Situational Awareness to Improve Safety. And his website is blueethosspecializedtraining.com. Drew, before we went to break, we're talking about the SIDS death and uh, the awkwardness of keeping the parents separated uh, and trying to keep one occupied while the other one's being interviewed. You have to go through these motions. You've got to do these things. And the first thing I could think of, and I've never had to handle a SIDS death, thank goodness. And, and the other thing I, I sweated and I worried about was delivering a baby. I never had to do that. But death notifications are some of the hardest things in the world to do. At 22 years old, trying to tell someone that's in their 50s that their son was killed in a car accident, whatever it is, I can't imagine being in a room 
with a spouse or parent of of a baby that died. And what do you do? How what what do you say? Do you want to drink? Do you oh, do you smoke? What I don't know where to begin. You know, that was the tough thing and I, I did have some great partners and that's something that I always uh, will cherish because they helped me out in a lot of those situations and just watching them and how they dealt with them. And I was ready at that point because this was my third one. And the biggest thing that I remember to do in those situations to say, is there anyone I can call for you right now? Because you know, they have all this pent up energy and all this stuff that they're so confused. They don't know what to do. So there's someone in their life besides their significant other who they love and can talk to about this. And that really lets them just let some energy out. So I remember I would grab my phone immediately and because usually their phone would be taken as evidence or they need to be taken a look at. So I grab my phone and I'd say, you call whoever you'd like, or I can call them for you. Let's get them on the phone so you can talk. And that was really, really very effective because they could really vent that out. If that be their parents, if that be their brother, sister, or someone that way, that was a huge thing to do. And I think that them just talking about really released that energy. And that was what I found to really help in those situations. In this stage of my life, when I have conversations with people who are going through really, really traumatic things, quite often I say, I don't know what to say. I'll give you an example. I, I called a friend I went to the police academy with. His son was a Baltimore County police officer named Jason Snyder, who was killed in line of duty. And when... He picked the phone. I said, uh, Chuck, this is so-and-so. And I'll begin with, I don't know what to say, but I'm calling because we're friends. I've known you since 1980. Um, and if you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. If you want to talk about fishing, we'll talk about fishing. Uh, that's the best I could do. Sometimes that's the best I have. Absolutely. And I think that's just the thing is just giving that person that ability to just talk, just get it out of it. Cause you know that they're dealing with a very, very tough situation and just even opening that door to a conversation. It doesn't have to be about that specific incident, but just get them talking and really releasing that energy is the biggest thing. And I just noticed on calls that I went to after that, I learned a lot. I mean, one of them was don't look at the face anymore of the deceased because that really helped me because then I wasn't seeing it when I was sleeping or when I couldn't sleep because of that face I was always seeing. And then secondly, get them a phone so that they can talk to someone and really, you know, get all that energy out of them. So that was a big thing for me and what I learned during that kind of deal. And yes, just talking to people and exactly what you said. I can't imagine what you went through, but I'm here to listen to you if you'd like to talk to me about it. And that helped a lot. The thing I think that helped me too, personally, and this goes to your life after all these events. And it's not just these three events and and police work. There's a lot that that add up and have a cumulative effect on, on people is I kind of embrace the fact that I'm dinged up that there's a joke that a lot of us have a lot of my guests we're damaged goods but i'm okay with that Uh, i no longer fight that when those things come up uh, i don't like i'll I'll rephrase that when i have a cold i'm not shocked if i cough if i have unpleasant Mm -hmm. memories or nightmares periodically or these things come up i don't embrace them but i don't fight against them anymore i realize that comes with the territory is that a good explanation for you 
hundred percent. And I remember my old chief saying, he said, you know, 90% of this job is going to be mundane, boring, routine stuff, but 10% of it is going to affect you the rest of your life. And he couldn't have said it any better than that. And boy, you're right. There's just those things that after a while you're like, okay, here we go again. I, I, you know, I've learned from the last time. So this is still going to sting. I mean, you're still going to feel the poke of that shot, but you know, what's coming and what, you know, just along the way, things of how to deal with it a little bit better each time. But, you know, everyone, if, everyone differently and it's a it's a tough thing still to go through and like you said you know it's coming um but you just learn little tips and tricks and how to deal with it along the way so you transitioned to being a professor and you teach criminal justice and let's just say this for argument's sake or for example that many of your students want to become police officers do you ever feel the urge to go do you have no idea what's heading your way Absolutely, especially the ones where I can tell they don't have a whole lot of life experience and they're super young, just like I was. And, you know, you look at their life and it's very good and, you know, they haven't had any trauma in their life. They haven't had anything that way. You know, I grew up with a couple loving parents. I had a great family, that kind of way. And I think to them, you're going to embark on an adventure that it's really going to take its toll on you. And absolutely. I mean, I got to really talk them up and get them ready for the job. But I also don't shy away from just saying, you know, you're going to experience some things out there that, you know, no one can train you for. And they're coming and they're going to be difficult to handle. But I'm always here if you want to give me a call. I can talk to you about it. I'm here to listen to you because it is a tough job. I'll tell you that. And we need great people out there. And by the way, I don't whine constantly that I'm ruined as a result of this. I believe in many ways I'm a better person because I'm a collection of all these experiences. And I got to work with some great people, not just other cops, but in the community as well. There was really good and there was some not so good and a few horrible, horrible things. I got to ask you this, Drew. What drew you to being a college professor? That's like the enemy territory, isn't it? Well, that's... So it's funny you say that. I uh, I actually, so I worked for um, my police department for 12 years full-time, and I really, really liked the training aspect of things. I was an active shooter instructor, use of force instructor, CIT instructor, all these things, and I really liked the teaching aspect of it. So I went on to full-time teaching, and I found out that that was my greatest strength in law enforcement. Some people are really good at finding drugs. Some people are really good at arrests, writing tickets, doing that thing. What I found I was really good at was training. I took that very serious, and I loved it. And so that's where I thought of, you know what, if I could do this full-time, time, I think this would be great. So got hired at the police academy to train there. Um, and then eventually I wanted to work up into full-time, you know, being a professor so that I could train my students to get ready for that. And I thought the best professors I had were the ones that had the experience mm-hmm. of being in the field and could, could share that with. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go here and this is now my goal is to train the future coming up. And I want to give them the real life experiences to what this is, not just, hey, this is a theory, this is that, hey, I actually put hands on people, I went through these experiences, I'm going to talk to you about my experience. And that's what I wanted to share with my students. Did that lead to the book? That did, yes. And that's where it was all these different you know, topics about, you know, hypervigilance, fatigue, complacency, all these different things that I would see out there and how I could relate them to police officers. And that's what led me to, let's start reading this. And I met a guy named Richard Gasway that wrote a book as well. And his is for firefighters on situational awareness. And I took a lot of his ideas, my co-author, and I changed them for policing. And it really helped me write it down. And I shared my own experiences in there. 
Well, I do that all the time, and is, that's a conversation I have with my wife, my daughters, my sisters. You know, always be aware. And to trust your God-given or nature-given instincts, if something makes the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, pay attention to them. It might just save your life. You've got a website. Can people get more information about your book and all you do? That is, by the way, Blue Ethos Specialized Training.com. Can people contact you here? What can they find there? Absolutely. Yeah, that's my website. And there's a store on there with my book on there. If you type in blue 38, they'll give you a 10% discount for the book. Uh, I strongly recommend you read it. Uh, It's 109 pages. It's not a long read. I assign it to all my students an intro to criminal justice so that they can understand it. And they write reflection papers on there. Also with our business, we just do active shooter training for private and public entities. We do defensive tactics training, CPR, that kind of deal. And just do a lot of work that way uh, with other companies. You know, we've we've had uh, very good success. And again, it comes from a lot of the training and experience that I've had on the job, being a police officer and then sharing that with others. And give people the website one more time. Yeah, it's Blue Ethos Specialized Training. Drew, thanks so much for your service. And really, thank you for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you. I appreciate your time. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Thank you.